0: Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous,
1: and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This
2: is our family. Welcome home. We want to welcome our campuses in Appleton and Stevens Point if they join us this morning as well. Let me invite you at Green Bay and each one of the campuses, if you would go and stand with us as we together recite the Apostles' Creed. It's our statement of faith. It's what we believe here at Celebration Church. Join with me as we say together. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Good morning
1: celebration and greetings from St. Thomas here in the Virgin Islands. Deanna and I have been here to do an event and uh, taking a few extra days along with some others from the church. Just chilling and having a good time for a few days, but we'll be coming home by Wednesday. This morning we have a special guest speaker, Pastor Steve Corona from Raleigh, North Carolina, is going to be speaking. Uh, Steve is a great friend of mine, longtime friend, very faithful guy. Uh, if you've ever read my book, Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage, and of course I know all of you have read it, and you probably should all memorize it. But if you've ever read it, the first chapter is the infamous underwear story. As we hear an airplane taking
2: off, taking the wall. off
1: in the background. Be <laughs> able to see it. It's a float
2: plane. There, there he is. goes. I
1: don't know if you can see it off in the distance. It's getting ready to take off. Yes. Anyway, the first chapter in my book is the infamous Undy story. <laughs> and, and it's with Pastor Steve and his wife, Connie, that that happened. At. Uh, anyway, uh, he's been so kind to cover for me today. Uh, again, we'll be back uh, Wednesday. We'll be back for next Sunday. We'll be looking forward to sharing the message with you there at that time. In the meanwhile, would you please give a very warm... Green Bay Celebration, welcome to Pastor Steve Corona. We'll see you next week. Good morning.
0: Yeah, the underwear story is, uh, you'd have to to read the book, I can't, but when it happened, he promised me he wouldn't tell it. He thought I meant verbally, so he puts it in chapter one of his book, Laughed your way to a better marriage. Thanks, Mark. Uh, I wanna honor Pastor Mark Gunger and his wife, Deanna, and and such an honor to be here with you today. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, We wanna welcome the Appleton and Stevens Point campuses, just like Pastor Lathan has already said welcome, guys. I've been to both of those campuses, great campuses, great facilities, but even greater people at those campuses, so it's great to have you with us. A man went to work one day and he took his eight-year-old daughter with him. It was family day and you could bring family members to work so he brought his eight-year-old daughter to work and walked around the office for about 15 minutes introducing her to different people there in the office. And after about 15 minutes, she burst into tears. And he said, what's the matter, sweetheart? And she said, I thought there'd be clowns. You said you work with clowns at the office. And I thought there would be... I don't see any clowns. So, just want you to know, I don't see any clowns either. I just see men and women of God, children of God. Say I am. I am. Say I am. I am a child of God. Am. Amen. All right, well, today I want to talk with you about the subject, are you a warrior or a warrior? Are you a worrier or a warrior? In Luke chapter 12 verse 22, Jesus addresses this idea of worry. And I want to talk about this for just a moment, and I want to hopefully change your mindset because all of us have heard the all of us have heard somebody say, "Well, everybody worries." Everybody worries. Well, let's look at what Jesus said. Then he said to his disciples, "Therefore I say to you, do not worry." Say, "Do not worry." Notice how quite a lot of people didn't want to say that, but he said it with gusto. Do not, worry. do not worry. Jesus said, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens for they neither reap nor sow, which have neither storehouse nor barn. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet, I say to you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. If God Then so close the grass, which is here today in the field, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. How much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. In other words, do not worry. I happen to believe that in the Bible, if God instructs us to do something or not to do something, he will give us the power and the ability to do that. And so here, God says that we are not to worry. Now, in order to deal with the issue of whether or not we're going to worry, we have to understand what worry is. And I want to give you a couple of working definitions as to what worry is. I, sometimes when I talk to people about worry and I realize that they're worrying about something that uh, is eventually Uh, this worry is not gonna help them, a lot of people will say, well, I'm not worried, I'm just concerned. Well, let me give you a couple of working definitions of worry. First of all, to worry is to assume a responsibility that is not necessarily ours to assume. Failing to recognize that God is bigger than any problem we might have and that God loves us enough to seek our highest good in the midst of every situation. Or another good working definition of worry is it's a form of humanistic self-orientation that thinks it's up to me to take care of this situation and is thus a form of practical atheism, acting as if there is no God to deal with the situation or that God doesn't know or doesn't care. Concern becomes worry when we fail to relate the situation that confronts us to our source of sufficiency in God. Your God loves you, your God cares for you, your God has a plan for your life and for your future and for your situation, for your marriage, for your kids, for your business, for your life. Your God has a plan and is very protective and very jealous of that plan. And so when we put our situations in God's hands and we trust him, that's when we're going to succeed in life, and worry will destroy God's plan for you. So we need to deal with this. We actually need to talk about this. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Luke 10, 38. Um, Jesus is talking about Mary and Martha. Here's the account of Mary and Martha. And it so happened that as Jesus and his disciples went, that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone, therefore, tell her to help me? And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried, worried, you're worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good part, that one thing which will not be taken away from her. I'm not going to tell her to stop sitting at my feet and listening to me and fellowshipping with me and worshiping me so she can help you. Now serving, of course. Is important and the Bible says that the greatest among us will be the other's servant but we must keep our serving life in context we must Our serving life must be subservient to our worship life and our relationship with Jesus. And here, Jesus is saying that worry will keep you from the one thing that's needed. And oftentimes in our lives, the one thing that's needed is for us to fellowship with God, for us to sit at his feet and worship him and turn the situation over to him. We get an opportunity to do that every Sunday morning. One of the things that, uh, as a pastor, that's a little disturbing to me is that sometimes when people go through issues, they stay away from church. I've been in the grocery store, run into somebody. Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, I'm going through a lot of stuff. I'm just going through a lot of stuff right now. That's when you should run to church. The amen went right there. That's when you should run to church, is when you're going through stuff. We wanna, we wanna come to church when we look good and life is good, but then when life starts caving in on us, we wanna stay away because we don't want people to judge us, we don't, want people to, to, we don't want people to look at us and be able to tell that something's wrong, but that's the time we need to be involved in church and we need to be involved in worship and when they're singing the songs, great is thy faithfulness. Oh my God, it almost brought me to tears. Great is thy faithfulness, and when you're going through something, you need to be with the fellowship of believers, with your hands raised, singing, God, great is thy faithfulness, no matter what I'm dealing with in my life. Luke chapter 21, verse 34, Jesus says that we are not to be weighted down with two things, drunkenness and worry. How many know that drunkenness is a sin? Two people, I'm preaching the wrong message. How many of you know that drunkenness is a sin? Sure it is. Well, Jesus taught in that passage that drunkenness, uh, he uses drunkenness and worry in the same passage. And so worry is not something that should be a part of our life and we've gotta stop this mindset, everybody worries, but Jesus said don't, do it. We need to trust God and put our lives in God's hands. Worry will choke the word of God out of your life. Mark chapter 4. In uh, Mark chapter 4, where is that? Mark chapter 4, verse 18, the parable of the sower. I don't have time to teach on the whole parable, but in one part of the parable of the sower, Jesus said, these seeds are the ones sown among thorns. They're the ones who, who hear the word and the worries of this world The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Worry will cause the word to become unfruitful. In your life. Sometimes people will come to me and say, I, I'm praying, I'm reading the Bible, I'm doing everything you told me to do, and I and still I don't I don't feel like I'm getting victory in this situation. And sometimes it's because no matter how much of the word we feel like we have in us, worry is choking the word out of our life. So we got to deal with it. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, how do we deal with it? 1 Peter 5, 7, let me read this to you out of the Amplified Bible. It says, casting all your cares, all your anxieties, all of your worries, and all of your concerns once and for all on him, on Christ. For he cares about you with deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. So we need to cast those cares upon him. That's why whenever we're going through something, you run to God. How often, and I've done it in my own life. I've had to deal with it in my own life where I've gone through something that I felt like was so heavy, I couldn't pray. You ever felt like you couldn't pray? It's a lie of the enemy. You can always pray. You could do things when you, when you don't feel like. Ladies, have you ever cleaned house when you didn't feel like cleaning house? I didn't feel like it, but I did it anyway because company's coming. I gotta do it, but I don't wanna do it. I don't feel like doing it. Prayer is the same thing. You can always pray. There's no such thing as I can't pray. It is I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like turning this over to God. I don't feel like coming to church. I don't feel like worshiping. But when we cast all of our cares upon him, this amplified translation says God watches over us. Jeremiah chapter one verse 12 says God watches over his word to perform it in our lives. So instead of being a worrier, I want to talk with you for the rest of the message about being a warrior. Being a warrior. Exodus chapter 15 verse 3 tells us that God is not a worrier. God is a warrior. Did you know God is not worried about anything that you're dealing with? He's not up there wringing his hands, wondering how things are going to turn out in your life. But rather, Exodus chapter 15, verse 3 says, God is a warrior and Jehovah is his name. Being a warrior could, in many cases in our lives, be the opposite of being a warrior. Being a warrior, let me say it again, I said it wrong. How many forgive me? Being a warrior could, in most cases, be the opposite of being a worrier. The Packers, the Green Bay Packers will tell you this, that the best defense is a good offense. And so when we are on the offensive, when we are a warrior, it's hard to worry. It's hard to worry when you're going at your problems, at your difficulties with the word of God. And the Holy Spirit is championing your cause. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 13, talking about the Lord for just a moment before we... Go go on to us. It says, the Lord will march forth like a mighty hero. He will come out like a warrior full of fury. He will shout his battle cry and crush all his enemies. I understand about God being love. God is love. The Bible says God is love. But many of us lose sight of the fact that God is also a warrior. Uh, um, uh, Exodus says that God is a warrior. Jehovah is his name. And here it says that God crushes his enemies. I want you to put your hand out like this, everybody. I'm not gonna hurt you. Put your hand out like this, and I want you to pretend like you're crushing your enemies. I want you to go like that, like that. Some of you are wimpy, you're going. The Bible says that God crushes his enemies. And his enemies are our enemies. Our enemies are his enemies. And he is, the Bible says that God is a warrior. I like Revelation chapter 19. Let's read that. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, talks about the Lord Jesus coming back and bringing the armies of heaven. It says that Jesus is the God of the armies of heaven. When I was a child, I went to Sunday school, and we had a picture up on the wall of Jesus with all the sheep around him holding the little lamb. And that is Jesus. Jesus certainly is the shepherd of the sheep. But for some of us, that's the only concept of Jesus that we have. But the Bible says that Jesus is a warrior and that Jesus is the leader, the God of the armies of heaven. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on the white horse, on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Our God is a warrior, and he's coming back with the armies of heaven. Jesus is not worried about the fate of the earth. He's not worried about the political situation in the United States. He's not worried about what's going on in the world because he's not worried because he's a warrior, he's a conqueror, he's fierce. And a two-edged sword, the word of God, comes out of his mouth. The Bible says to conquer the nations. Now even though Jesus is coming back with the armies of heaven, it's interesting that Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 talks about us being the first line of defense. Jesus is coming with the armies of heaven, but guess what? He has an army that's already here, and it's us. We are heaven's first line of defense on the earth, and we are warriors in the kingdom of God. Say, I am, I am. A, warrior a warrior in the kingdom of God. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand Against the tricks of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood But against principalities powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all that you may Stand. The armies of heaven are coming, but we are already here. And verse 17 of this passage talks about the sword of the spirit being the word of God. And we're to use the word of God in our mouth Speaking the Word of God to defeat the enemy in our situations. What's coming against your marriage? What's coming against your finances, against your kids, against your health? We are to use the Word of God as our offensive weapon, and we're already here. So many of us are praying, asking God to do something. Ask God, would you please do something in this situation? But when we turn our situation over to God, then all of a sudden the Word of God rises up on the inside of us. The weapon that causes us to conquer in the kingdom. Luke chapter 19 verse 13 says that we are to occupy until he comes. Many people have translated that word occupy as sleep. It does not mean that we are to sleep until he comes. It means that we are to occupy, that we are to stand strong and take ground until he returns. Now, one of my favorite passages is Psalm 127.4 that talks about our kids. Today is Rite of Passage Sunday. In a few moments, there's going to be a a ceremony, uh, and you have a Rite of Passage program here, which I think is phenomenal. And here in this passage in... Psalm chapter 127, verse four, it says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Parents, your battle plan includes equipping your kids for battle, spiritual battle, and that includes teaching them the word of God so they can speak the word of God into their own situations. Your quiver isn't full until your children are actually arrows ready for battle. We had a family one time, a, a young man in our church had a heart attack. He was a young guy. And he was in the hospital and I went to the emergency room to meet with his wife and his eight-year-old daughter were there and, and I talked to them a minute. And I said, well, I'm here, I wanna pray with you. And she said, pastor, we're honored that you're here. And uh, of course, you can pray with us anytime and, we, and, and we'd just be happy for you to do that. However, I want you to know that we've already got the situation covered because my daughter just prayed and he's going to be fine. Ten minutes later, the doctor walked to the doors and said, Your husband's going to be fine, ma'am. And she said, I knew it because my daughter prayed. You see, kids can pray with a faith that sometimes we don't have. Sometimes our experiences erode at our faith to the point that we wonder whether this is true or not. But kids don't do that, kids will believe anything you tell them. And they'll go with it. We kids ask where the grass grows from and you tell them there's a little elf under the ground and they push the grass up from under the ground. Your kids believe that. They believe what you tell them about Christmas, about Easter, about, they believe all that. So when you tell your kids, you read the Bible to your kids and you tell your kids that prayer works, it's amazing what happens when they pray because they believe it. Oftentimes our kids have more faith than we do. And so we need to equip our kids with the word of God to be able to stand strong and be able to pray, Satan, you have exactly one minute to loose this situation. You have exactly one minute to loose my marriage, my business, my health, and if you don't, I'm letting the kids loose we're gonna let them pray. Satan is terrified of the word of God in your kids' mouths as well as ours. And I do, and I do want, today is Rite of Passage Sunday, and I do want to say to, uh, to the, the kids here, and the young adults here that are, uh, are celebrating, uh, we celebrate you. See what I did there? Celebr- Celebration Church, we celebrate you. I thought that was pretty cool. They didn't, apparently everybody does that. Okay. All right. So we celebrate you, but also we recognize that you're much smarter than we are. You're not, now you need our experiences. It's not like because you're smart you can just, You can go on through life without us. You need the experience, the life experience and the wisdom of adults. But we also recognize that kids today, that you are so much smarter than we are. So so don't fall for the trap that we fell for of being consumed by worry concerning the things of this life, but learn to trust God. You're so much smarter than we are and you could do this. Last night, um, I was honored to have dinner with Pastor Lathan and Lynn, and we were talking, and I related to them the story of my daughter, Tara, who found that her computer was not working one morning, and so she brought it over to our ministry and let one of our tech guys look at her computer to figure out why her computer wouldn't work. Spent a few moments with it, and he said, "Uh, you don't have a hard drive in this computer. She said, what do you mean I don't, he said, where's your hard drive, your hard drive's gone. She thought for a minute, Then she got this look on her face and she said, James. Her son had found his computer was not working and so he took the hard drive out of her computer and put it in his computer. Now his computer worked fine. Her computer didn't work. And it's too bad that he didn't have the presence of mind to put his hard drive in her computer or she would have never figured it out. And the reason that he didn't have that presence of mind is because he was eight years old when he did that. So you are, you're so much smarter than we are, but learn this lesson better than we did. Cast your cares on him. Now, in, in uh, the rest of this message, I just want to talk with you for just a moment about a story of David and Goliath. If you've been in church any amount of time at all, you've heard you've heard teachings and Sunday school lessons and sermons on David and Goliath. You've heard at least 20 of them, I'm sure. But I just want to take a few moments to take this passage and talk with you about the difference between warriors and warriors because those of us who are familiar with the story, we are familiar with David, we're familiar with Goliath but we're not familiar with the warriors who are in that story who were not taking any ground whatsoever. If you're not familiar with the story, uh, David was a shepherd boy and he was at home with his father Jesse while his brothers were on the battlefield with the armies of Israel supposedly Fighting the Philistines and Jesse wanted to know how the brothers were doing so he gave David some food and told him to go check on his brothers go to the battlefield and check on his brothers and when David got there he found the armies of Israel hunkered down behind the hills and they were terrified the whole army of Israel was terrified of this one man a giant was standing in the valley and challenging the army of Israel sending saying send out your best fighter to fight me. And let's just disperse with all the bloodshed and everybody getting killed. Let's do this, you send out your best soldier to fight me and if I win, you will serve us and if they win, we will serve you. And they didn't have anyone who would go out and fight him, they were all terrified and they were hunkered down, hiding in the hills. And when David came and found that, David was disgusted by the cowardice that he saw And so David went to Saul and told Saul, King Saul, I'll fight him. King Saul then tried to put his armor on David for David to go out and fight the giant. But David found that he couldn't get around in this armor. So David took the armor off and instead he took his sling, went down to the brook, got five smooth stones, went out on the battlefield, hit Goliath in the middle of the forehead with a stone and killed him. So that's the story. Now this story is a perfect example of warriors and warriors and I want to very quickly give you four things about warriors and warriors that we can get from this passage. First of all, a warrior covers their head and hopes the battle passes them by. But a warrior runs to the battle because he knows he won't lose. This passage here in 1 Samuel chapter 17 says in verse 48, when the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, the David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And as I've talked about before, as long as you are running into the battle, you don't have time to worry. Number two, a warrior puts his own safety above the mission, but a warrior believes that the mission, believes in the mission, and we give his life for it. In verse 46, it talks about how God, how David intends to give glory to God. David says, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then let all this assembly know that the Lord God does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And so the enemies that you're fighting, I want you to remember this. The enemies that you're fighting that have attacked your marriage, attacked your kids, attacked your health, attacked your finances or your business are the same enemies that everybody else is fighting. But when you conquer them, it inspires everyone else and gives everyone else hope. And glorifies God. Oh, in verse 51, I, this is really interesting. All the Israelites are hiding in the hills. But then after David conquers Goliath, verse 51 says, Therefore David ran, stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him and cut off his head with Goliath's sword. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled, but the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines. It took one person to inspire the whole army to come out of hiding and fight. And it may be your story, it may be you conquering your enemy that inspires others then in your world to stand up and fight the giants that they face as well. Number three, a warrior has no confidence in his weapons, but a warrior knows that his weapons, if used correctly, have a devastating effect on the enemy. 2 Corinthians ten fourteen. says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Ephesians six seventeen. the passage we just looked at, says that the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. And so we have confidence that the word works. We have confidence that as we stand on his word and speak his word, we have confidence that as we move forward in the word of God that reveals God's will, that we will be victorious in every situation. We have confidence in our weapons, the word of God. And fourthly, lastly, a a warrior sees the battle as a threat to their comfort. But a warrior sees the battle as their opportunity to advance and take ground. Let me ask you this. What's on the other side of the battle that you're facing? What's on the other side? It's worth it. It's worth it to stand and fight. It's worth it to be a warrior rather than a warrior. Worrier. As long as you're worried, nothing is going to change. But when you stand up in your victory that's given to you in the word of God, then and you begin to advance, you're going to see on the other side of that what God has for you. What is it that's on the other side of the battle that you're in? When David took the food to his brothers, uh, the, uh, they started talking about what the reward was for defeating the giant. You may have heard this before already, but the, the, uh, uh, David said, so what, what does the person who defeats the giant get? Well, they get riches, they get to marry the king's daughter, and they get tax exemption for the rest of their life. And David asked a second time, what do you get for defeating the giant? You get riches, you get the king's daughter, and you get tax exemption for the rest of your life. And David said, I'm in. I can do that because David saw what was on the other side of the battle. Of course, we've already seen that David's main motivation was to glorify God. But after that, after seeing the enemy defeated and glorifying God, there was something in it for David. And I want to tell you that when you defeat the enemy, there's always something in it for you, even when God is glorified. Stop looking at the inconvenience and start looking at the reward. Every person that you see today with the blessing of God on their life fought to get there and fought to stay there and didn't give up. The key to not giving up in the heat of battle is to stop worrying and start being a warrior. Amen? Would you stand with me, please? Say this after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you watch over me You watch over my life. And you're concerned about every area of my life. I commit myself today to stop being a worrier and start being a warrior. To stand on the word of God. To give it first place in my life. And to see your will and your plan come to pass. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Latham. Thank you, sir.